What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... Yeah. My only object is being here is to try and get out of What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a... Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an offer again. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fodder for Frodo. Nice clean. Don't laugh! Can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 330 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia. Time recording is 11.06am on February 5th, 2023. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Lauren Cohen. Hey everyone. And also joining us here as a guest this week, you probably know him best as the film drunk on YouTube. Welcome back to the show, everyone, Jonathan Fuji. Hello, thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on board for this very transitional calm before the guild storm episode, as I'm going to be calling it here, because over the next couple of weeks, we've got nothing but guild announcements, BAFTA, SAG on our way to the Oscars on March 12th. So this really kind of is our final breath before the plunge, if you will, uh, before the madness like truly kicks back up again. We've had a couple of weeks of a breather with the precursors and end of year critics awards, but no more. <laughs> oh, no more. That will all be coming back furiously and it will be coming really fast too. I mean, February is just packed with killed announcements. It, it's pretty insane. So I thought that we could take a temperature check this week, figure out where everybody is post Oscar nominations. Isn't it just like wild to everybody here that in two days time, it will have been two weeks since the Oscar nominations. And I don't know about you all, but I've been seeing some more events and parties out here in New York for the nominees. And then also they're trying to get interviews with people out. Billboards are going up in LA. I've seen people taking photos of those everywhere. Do you all feel like people are just kind of 
kicking things into another gear right now as we try and uh, push forward until the Oscars? Well, I mean, I, from what I see on Twitter, I would definitely agree with that. Obviously, me being in uh, Arizona, I can't say that uh, there's a lot of parties going on for Academy nominees or billboards. But what are you talking about? I saw Margot <laughs> Robbie fighting a snake out in the desert last week. You know what? <laughs> probably happened. It's probably a snake and a scorpion, which I just killed in my house like a few days ago. Oh, we my get, God. <laughs> dude, we get we get so many of those. I'm kind of like a scorpion killer at this point. But in all honesty, we're also going to be uh, talking about the trailer for Guy Ritchie's The Covenant or simply known <laughs> as The Covenant. I guess we're now doing the whole Guy Ritchie's movie thing in front of the title now. Uh, we're also going to be going over the polls. We'll answer some fan questions. But what I want to do before I get to any of that is I want to know what you all have been watching over the past week. So, Jonathan, as the guest of honor here, why don't we start off with you? Is there anything that you've caught up with in the last week, either at the movie theater or at home? <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be such... Your, your listeners are going to be like, what is this man on? Because this is a very weird week for me in terms of watching movies. But you know what? Sure, I'll go through it. So looking at my letterbox, I, if I'm looking back a week, I watched something called The Little Panda Fighter. I'm sorry, what? The, <laughs> the, the Little Panda Fighter. It is a uh, bootleg kung fu panda. And um, it is like the worst thing I've ever seen. So... My letterbox haulers are just slowly watching me just descend into madness because that is not the only weird thing I watched. But the little panda fighter on YouTube, 50 minutes, watched it with my friends because we thought it'd be funny. And then uh, we just really hated our life after that. Was this like some kind of a challenge from your listeners? Uh, you know, <laughs> that, that would be an easy answer to say, yeah, honestly, it's not. It's like it's a long story, but like my friends in real life, we're just on some weird weird grind with these like bootleg movies and it's it's draining us like every week so that's not the last one that you'll you'll hear for sure but yeah little panda fighter on youtube 50 minutes long quite an experience um i caught up with a thousand and one because it won the uh prize at sundance saw that one the day after i I liked it. I thought it was solid. Um, to be honest, I, I don't think it's like one of the best things I saw at Sundance, just me personally, but Tiana Taylor gave a great performance and I'll be interested to see how it gets received a little bit later on. I really like the directorial choices in that movie too. Like I really like the high contrast cinematography, the way that it captured 1990s Harlem. And yeah, the performances are really good too. So if anything, I kind of see it as a nice uh, bit of potential for future films from mm -hmm. uh, that filmmaker uh, whose name is escaping me off the top of my head right now. But I agree with you. Great performances, especially in that third act. Oof. Yeah, A.V. Rockwell. So th that'll be interesting to see um, my dog going crazy. I believe that comes out this spring from Focus Features. Yeah, I believe so. So that's a good pickup for Focus there. Um, then I saw Knock at the Cabin, which... Pretty mixed feelings overall. I definitely don't love it like a lot of people, and I certainly don't hate it like a lot of other people. I, I still kind of have those Shyamalan things where, like, I'm sorry, I still think the dialogue is just very awkward in some of his movies. But Dave Bautista, my guy, love him so much. He's awesome in this one. And I thought, like, the pacing of this movie is just, this is what I like. You know, being hit with a lot of two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour movies, which I don't mind, but... It is nice to get like a really quick, just tense thriller for an hour, 40, hour and a half, whatever it is. So I, I thought that one was pretty solid. Two more. <laughs> uh, I saw Plan B. Gosh, this is the uh, B movie bootleg. I watched 
yesterday, not as bad. Not as bad as a little panda fighter. Plan B compared to that one is like parasite, honestly. So it, that one's 42 minutes long, also on YouTube. And then after that, this is this is insane. Uh, I guess I'm pre-gaming for Greta Gerwig's Barbie. I saw Barbie as the princess and the pauper or something <laughs> like that, which has a 4.0 average rating on Letterboxd as I'm looking at it right now. Um, solid musical, I guess. I could see how it's very nostalgic for like my fiance and her sisters that were watching with me. They were like screaming the lyrics of it. And uh, yeah, that's all I saw. So quite a roller coaster. My letterbox is very wild right now. So um, yeah, <laughs> that's what I watched this week. By the way, I didn't know that you were engaged. Congratulations. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, all right, Lauren Cohen. How about you? Because uh, that's a tough act to follow in terms of eclectic <laughs> taste. Um, yeah, that is that is difficult to follow. I've had a very random watch week. I'm going to start with my first time seeing Jean Dielman. Oh, wow. Nice. Did you see it in, in the movie theater? Oh, I saw it in a theater. I saw it at an uh, amazing uh, theater called the Cosford Cinema um, in Miami. And uh, it was my first time seeing it. And honestly, this was like the, the kind of movie that like I really do believe you have to see it in the theater because it is such a like a, a true slow cinema film that I don't think I would have the attention span to watch it at home. You know, it's it's just not that it, it's just such a it, it really tests you. And so this movie, I they kind of warned us beforehand. They're like, it's OK if you fall asleep. If you do, don't feel bad about yourself. It's fine. You're supposed to feel that way. It's three and a half hours of a French woman cleaning the house and making potatoes. And what's so interesting about it is that I don't know if you guys have seen it. It was my first time seeing it. Oh, but yeah, like, no, I've seen it. Yeah, your brain goes into this very weird kind of zone where you're like, you're paying attention, but you're also kind of in this, you're almost like just in a different place. And that when she does something different, her hair is out of place or she burns the potatoes, your brain just instantly like latches onto it. <laughs> and that was a really fascinating experience for me. Obviously, um, in the end, everything comes together. It's hard to say if I liked it or not. That's such a weird, uh, you know, way to phrase it. It was definitely an experience and I'm so glad I saw it and there's so much to admire about it. I don't know that I'm eager to watch it again, but I'm so excited. I'm so happy that I got to see it on the big screen. Um, so that was an experience. Um, the, the cinema is doing all of the sight and sound type top 10 um, every week. So that's pretty cool um, to have that opportunity to see all those movies on the big screen. Because I haven't seen most of these on the big screen. I've seen a lot of them, but not not in a cinema. Um, I also watched a new Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix. I was actually really surprised that that didn't go to Sundance. I thought it was really well done. And I, I thought it was strange that it skipped Sundance, but, um, it was good. Um, very watchable, very quick. Um, definitely gave me a lot of insight as to Pamela Anderson as a person. I think, I think it came at the perfect time after, uh, Pam and Tommy. And it was very, uh, critical of that series. So that was interesting because I did watch that, um, series with Lily James and uh, Sebastian Stan. And I also watched You People, which I thought was, you know, I was I was pretty mixed on. I think it was more of a collection of really funny scenes more than it was a good movie. Yeah, I was I was just I, I think I was expecting that to like that one a lot more. And I know there's something else I watched. I mean, I rewatched La La Land, but you know, it's on Netflix nice. now. I'll probably be watching that a lot. I was gonna say that's probably like a monthly ritual for you, oh, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I can't. I can't get enough. So 
Um, oh, and of course, Knock at the Cabin, which we spoke about on the podcast yesterday. And, um, you know, as a big Shyamalan fan, I was disappointed, but, you know, not not his not his worst film. OK, so for myself this past week, um, I, too, saw Knock at the Cabin, which uh, we have a podcast review for you to listen to, as Lauren said. So by all means, please take a listen to that if you have or have not seen the movie yet. I did some final uh, Sundance catch ups, but I'm not going to go into depth with all of those because honestly, there's so many. And to be honest with you, I haven't logged them all on Letterboxd yet, so I'm pretty <laughs> uh, behind. But I, I did a lot. I must have watched like an additional seven or nine uh, after the festival officially ended. So I was trying to like catch up on a lot there. Um, I saw a movie that I'm embargoed for called Champions uh, with Woody Harrelson. It's directed by the other fairly brother uh bobby and uh more on that later and then i also saw another movie which i oh god i came and tell i can't even tell you what it is i i so sorry i i just i just realized i'm not even allowed to say um but two movies i can talk about uh that i did see this week um i saw skinnamarink mm. how was that a lot of online buzz about this so yeah. naturally i was like you know it's on shutter let's check it out see what's going on Oh, man, I did not enjoy this. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think the reason why is because to me, this feels like something that should be 79 minutes max. This thing is 100 minutes long, and I had no idea as to why it was stretching uh, the length here because not much really happens for a long uh, duration of it. There are some jump scares. It does prey upon fears that one has when you're a child. Um, it, it does a really good job of psychologically uh, messing with you in terms of shadows. And did you really see something? Did you not? Um, I found it intriguing in that regard. But after a while, when I checked my watch and I saw how much more time was left, I was like, wow, the whole film is going to be like this. OK, strap myself in for the rest. Um, so it wasn't as effective for me. The parts where it was effective, I mean, it really did work. But by that same token, I just feel that this could have been a more effective short film at like 30 minutes long or just bring it down, bring it down to the like the the lowest runtime you possibly could for a feature. And I think then it could have been, you know, a little bit more effective. I still don't know if it fully works, but. I also watched it at home. I waited till the sun went down. I made sure that it was completely dark. I wanted to kind of immerse myself in it as much as I possibly could. But I've been told that watching it in a theater with a bunch of other people kind of freaking out simultaneously is what made it a good experience for others. So, hey, power to them. And then I saw a little movie with a big heart. <laughs> oh, boy. I finally watched this movie. I haven't seen it yet. Same, haven't seen it. It's available for those who subscribe to Film Independent. It's one of the nominees, so it is available on screener. I'm, of course, referring to Leslie, uh, Tutu Leslie, sorry, <laughs> directed by Michael Morris and starring Academy Award nominee Andrea Riseborough, which I... Oh, boy. I love saying that and more on her in a little bit here. But for now, I will just say, average movie, great performance. I honestly could see and understand why she got the nomination. Granted, she had a lot of people advocating for her, but it's a good performance. It's not an embarrassing type of performance where I walk away from it saying, oh, that didn't deserve to be up for consideration for an Academy Award. Now, are there other people I might have placed above her? You know, quite mm -hmm. honestly, I think that after having now seen 
all of the performances in contention, you know, Daniel Deadweiler for me still deserves to be in the top five, no matter what. No questions asked. She should have been nominated. Mm-hmm. But Andrea Riseborough, no, nah, I think she earns her way in there. I would knock out someone else or two out of that lineup uh, and make room for both of them. And I think then you could have had like one of the best lineups of all time. But, you know, Mark Maron's also pretty good in the film, too. Um, not, not enough people are talking about uh, what a good supporting performance he gives in that. Uh, I think he's very vulnerable and very sweet and uh, like I said, very, very average storytelling, but it's also like the kind of uh, performance that every moment that the camera is on her face in this film, I mean, she is just magnetic. I, I was pretty floored by what she was doing in this, so much so that I'm embarrassed that I hadn't seen it earlier, and I'm glad now that I did. Uh, I am not going to go so far as to say that I think that she is contending to win. This is very much a case where the nomination is the uh, the award. Uh, but at the same time, I definitely think it's worth checking out just to see what a phenomenal piece of work she delivered in this and why it got so many people to advocate for her. Because it, it also is um, just this really great example of, you know, the term grassroots has been used before. But, you know, when when we're very, very passionate about something in the Oscar race, we tend to take to social media, tell our friends about it. And in this case, celebrities just did that with each other. And it ended up getting her an Oscar nomination in the end. And I find it kind of incredible that every year I feel like we go through this where we're hoping that a performance can get in based on the merit of the work. And they typically don't have the campaign dollars or the big studio backing to give them that kind of award season push. So we take to Twitter and we do what we can to try and get people in hopes to see uh, these films and these performances. It's just incredible to me that this is like one of the rare cases, at least in my lifetime, that I can recall where that kind of a uh, small push actually worked. I feel like every year we make these pushes and they don't work. This is a case where it did. And um, I guess it just took celebrities doing it instead of us on film, Twitter and elsewhere, uh, which is interesting when you think about it like in retrospect here with that said kind of transitioning over hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced this week that Andrea Riseborough will not be having her Oscar nomination for Best Actress rescinded, which I think was really widely predicted amongst all of us. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh, But they did allude to the fact that there are certain people involved with the campaign that um, (laughs) might face repercussions uh, for their act in getting her the nomination. Uh, They didn't go into detail about that. But the question at hand was, was she going to have her nomination rescinded? And we know now that that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, I'll just speak for myself about what we thought about that. I don't know that it was. I don't know that it that they did anything wrong with how I think what bothered me more actually wasn't that they did anything wrong. There's no reason that like this, like we called it grassroots campaign can't be something that 
um, is done as it is. Everyone's campaigning for their for their nomination. So why is this any worse than sending out like having the money to send out all these like for your consideration screeners and whatnot? But I think what bothered me was the hyperbole that was attached to what they were doing to get her her um, nomination. I haven't seen the movie, so maybe that's not fair. But like, I think Kate Winslet said this was the best performance she's ever seen in her lifetime or something like that. And I mean, Matt, maybe you could speak to that. But is that a normal comment to make about this performance? I can see how, especially if someone knows her personally, they would say something like that. It's a very baity performance with a lot of flashy scenes of her. But the best ever in the world of performances? Come on. It 100% is hyperbolic. Truly, it really is. But like I said, if they know her on a personal level and they've worked with her, I can see why they would use such terms. But it's definitely not true. There have been a bunch of other performances that have been like this, for the record, that have played, uh, in this case, uh, single drunk moms whose life is in the gutter and is trying to build back from that. I mean, I've seen this performance before. I have. She's not doing anything that I've never seen, but she does it very well. I I believe that. It's just I think it was like there was a day that I woke up and honestly, it felt like a fever dream that I like woke up and all of a sudden I saw like six different headlines that were like best performance I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, uh, like just to that level of of hyperbole. And then I think that was the same night that I think it was the Golden Globes when Kate Blanchett gave her acceptance speech and then was like, oh, so many great performances, not just the ones in this room, but Andrea Riseborough. And I was like, I feel like I'm on drugs right now. What the fuck is going on? No, it truly it's one of those things where this really all did come out of nowhere. And I think that's, you know, the thing that reason why this really cause so much noise is for two reasons. One is because she supposedly, this is not true, for all we know, she was not fifth. Maybe Anita Armas was fifth. Maybe Michelle Williams was fifth. But it was just a case of she came out of nowhere and she got in over Viola Davis and Danielle Deadweiler, who were mm-hmm. more widely predicted to get in. So some people... Um, people who are wrong, might I add, were placing blame at Andrea Riseborough's feet for getting in over these two uh, black actresses, which I think is wrong. It's not Andrea Riseborough's fault. She and her team played the game just like everyone else played the game of getting in. The problem, and there were some really great articles written about this, have to do with the industry and this industry that's built on suppression uh, for uh, people of color and not giving them the same level of opportunities. I mean, people are touting Michelle Yeoh's nomination as a historic nomination in many regards. And, you know, 95 years into the Academy's history, we're still creating firsts for uh, for the nominations. And so I, I think there's a lot to reflect on here in terms of just the industry as a whole and the opportunities or lack thereof that are afforded to people of color in general. And, um, you know, Good for Andrea Riseborough. Good for everyone that made this happen, I say. At the same time, there are other performances I really wish that uh, she could have gotten in over as opposed to these. But then again, we don't know, like I said, if she was fifth or not. So I think it's unfair to place that blame uh, at her feet. But then the second thing that 
created quite a stir with all of this is because, once again, it came out of nowhere. It was small. Um, it happened during the week of Oscar voting, literally not a peep before that, other than an Indie Spirit Award nomination for her. There are a lot of people on the awards campaign trail, publicists, studios, um, awards campaign advisors who felt very threatened by this because they are spending those millions of dollars. <laughs> and when they saw that someone can get in just on social media sentiment alone and probably no money whatsoever, that is that is enough to shake you to your core. Well, and how is that any more unethical than putting big money behind like forcing a movie in people's face. Well, the unethical part of it came from uh, you're not supposed to mention the competition when you're doing your campaign. And in this particular case, you had some people that were advocating on Andrea Riseborough's behalf who were mentioning by name Kate Blanchett is safe. Viola Davis is safe. Michelle Williams is safe. Vote for Andrea Riseborough. These other ladies don't need your vote. And that's the kind of thing that you're not supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's why people were looking into this. Now, it's funny because if she had not gotten a nomination, no one would be investigating this. <laughs> you know? It's just that it was successful. I mean, I, I will say it's been very fascinating and it's given us a lot to talk about over the last couple of weeks. But I mean... Jonathan, what's your take on all this? I know you haven't seen the movie yet, but just in terms of Oscar campaigning and what you think this means for uh, future campaigns moving forward, uh, what, what do you make of everything? Yeah, you know, it's, it, this is such an interesting situation. You know, I'm I'm a bit of a, of a chaos agent with, with the Oscars. I, I do like me some chaos unless it hurts my feelings or something like that. So I, I've been kind of just sitting back and yeah, I, I guess in terms of my overall take, I, I don't really care either way you know I, I saw some of the like the rules that people were pointing out about lobbying and what you said matt about the competition that is the one thing where that i saw from the two leslie campaign that i was a little like and eh, that feels a little a little weird where there's like instagram posts where it was like hey she needs 218 votes kate's safe viola's safe danielle's safe michelle's safe like they don't need it that that's the one thing where i was kind of like and eh, yeah that's probably not a great look but yeah, I'm definitely more so curious on the snowball effect of how this will affect campaigns next year, because as you said, with all the publicists and awards people spending millions of dollars, you do kind of have to wonder if you could put or like redistribute that money in a more effective way of simple social media with celebrities and connections can get you a nomination. So this is how Bradley Cooper wins his Oscar next year. That's what I'll say for Maestro. And uh, I'll be interested to see how it how it snowballs, basically. Tar walked so Maestro could run. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now that we commented on the Andrea Riseborough uh, news here, as I mentioned earlier, we have a couple of guilds coming up over the next couple of weeks here, uh, starting up with the Makeup and uh, Artists and Hairstylist Guild Award winners on February 11th. So that's really the only one for this week that we will have before uh, next Sunday's show. So kind of piggybacking off of that really quick here. Jonathan, who is your front runner right now for best makeup and hairstyling at the moment? Because I feel like whoever is the front runner will probably win at least one right. makeup and hairstylist guild award win, yeah. most likely. Yeah, it's I, I've been going back and forth on that because I'm really just I was just cycling back between Elvis and the whale. And back when I thought 
Elvis and The Whale were both going to be Best Picture nominated. I think I was leaning towards The Whale with just the whole prosthetic suit, and it's so obvious there. So I, I think I'm essentially just going to default to Elvis, I guess. I mean, it certainly played better to the Academy. And then if Austin Butler really is the frontrunner that a lot of people have positioned him as, I think the makeup acting combo just makes sense. So it's what makes most sense to me. So I, I guess I would go with Elvis for now. It's very interesting because the makeup work on Austin Butler and Elvis is pretty fantastic. But I've heard from multiple people within the Academy that they are not fans of Tom Hanks's makeup work. And I've been wondering if that could hurt Elvis overall. But then you also have to factor in that it has the period hair. And yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of other work being done on other supporting characters in the movie. So it's not all just Butler and Hanks here. Where with Frasier, though, that is some really, really showy, transformative work. If The Whale had gotten a Best Picture nomination, I would be pretty prepared to say that that was going to be your winner. And it's amazing to me how quickly the conversation has changed ever since uh, The Whale did not get that Best Picture nomination with regards to not just the makeup Oscar, but also for Brendan Fraser for Best Actor. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I don't I think that part of me would be worried about the general discomfort surrounding fat suits and stuff like that. I mean, obviously it was nominated and it's very impressive work, but between the movie not getting the expected nominations and the expected buzz into the Oscar season uh, and the general love for Elvis, I think Elvis is uh, the easier, um, safer pick. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I am, I am a little, I would be a little worried about the, the fat suit backlash for this one. I don't think the fat suit bl- backlash is happening because if it was happening, it would have happened already. It wouldn't be nominated. And not to mention, too, people have talked about it on Twitter and it didn't stop it from getting all these nominations at the guilds, BAFTA here. So I, I, I think that ship has set sail. Not to mention Darkest Hour won makeup for Gary Oldman <laughs> in the fat suit. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't hold it against the Academy uh, at all in terms of them going for something like this again. The question that really everybody should be asking themselves, and I asked it on Twitter this week, is how many Oscars do we actually think Elvis is going to win? Because when I start looking Uh, at my predictions, holy shit, it's almost pulling a Bohemian Rhapsody where it's winning everything uh, in my predictions except for picture at a certain point. That's a tough sentence to hear you say, man. That is a that is a tough sentence. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it is gonna win that many, let's be very clear, but there is a world where it wins a lot more than people think it will. For example, you know, cinematography. Oh, dear God. Ever since Top Gun missed that nomination, you know, you start looking at your Best Picture nominees. Now, I think it should go to All Quiet on the Western Front, but Elvis, you are looking at making history with Mandy Walker being the first woman to win the prize. People might feel compelled to vote for it just based on that narrative alone. Yeah, I mean, that, that that would be nice. You know, that's that's a nice narrative for sure. Um, as people know, that has almost become a bit on my channel. Not an Elvis guy, not an Elvis guy at all. But yeah, I mean, even I would have to be a fool to say that it's not in contention to win. Yeah, the Bohemian Rhapsody package, essentially, which would be a little upsetting for me. But it is what it is. It's the Oscars, you know. I mean, I do think that the Oscar for sound is between Top Gun and Elvis as well. I think Elvis is contending more for film editing than people are giving it credit for, especially because it has that sound nomination. 
and then you figure Catherine Martin in costumes and production design. The last two times that she was nominated for Moulin Rouge and Great Gatsby, she won both of those prizes twice. Will she do it a third time? My gut says yes. <laughs> Especially because Babylon's not nominated for Best Picture. So even though it won at CCA, and I think it's probably the biggest competition it faces here, I mean, Elvis is looking pretty good to take both of those. Um, I'm just I'm just going through it right now early in the morning. Jeez, that that would be that would be heartbreaking if Babylon lost production design to Elvis for me personally. That would yeah, destroy I me. agree. And I'm not even a, I'm not a fan of uh, Babylon, but uh, I'm really not a fan of Elvis. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do think Babylon deserves it over Elvis if I had to pick. Um, yeah, I guess I'm surprised when you when you lay it out all like that. I, I wasn't expecting um, that many potential wins for Elvis. That's interesting. Yeah. When you start looking at it, it <laughs> it could be the big winner of the night in all honesty. Oh, my God. It really <laughs> that's could. what's going to sweep. So let me ask you this question, Jonathan, because that, that's what this episode primarily is here. Like I said, <laughs> it's kind of touching base, asking uh, questions, seeing where the yeah. race is at right now. Yeah. What's your take on best actor? I know we just got through saying Elvis is going to do really well, probably. And Austin Butler could be a part of that. Do you have him winning or do you see Frazier winning SAG? Do you have Farrell winning BAFTA and then like one of them going on to win? Like, what's your current uh, take on this? Actor is so confusing to me right now. It is so confusing. I, I guess just point blank, if I had to call it now in early February, I, I guess I would go Butler just because of everything you've said, but because even if if the whale, you know, the whale miss best picture, okay, fine. I, I do think Fraser is like would be essentially strong enough, even with some of the mixed reviews, to essentially at least still be a threat to win without that. But the whale miss like picture and like and screenplay, and then it's just it, it just doesn't really make sense in my head. But then there's so many pros and cons to all of them. Like I still, as much as I love Colin Farrell and would love for him to win. I, I still don't really see it as like a winning performance with typically what the Academy goes for. Fraser, obviously with no best picture nomination and Butler is like, I know he's like 30, but like, this is like his real first like lead role, which I know hasn't stopped anything. And it just, it also feels a little bit weird to me, but I guess I would go with Butler and uh, just accept that nothing goes my way. For me, the big thing with Butler right now is he has the golden globe. Yeah. And that is it. Exactly. It would be the least precursor winning performance for best actor in a very, very, very long time. Going back to Adrian Brody for The Pianist. Mm. I mean, Brendan Fraser has got, according to Next Best Picture, what we tally, 17 wins. Colin Farrell has 32. Now, the rule of thumb and the reason why I keep track of these precursor wins throughout the year is typically, not all the time, but typically, the Oscar winner will be usually in the top two of precursor wins. And of course, you need to look at Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, SAG, BAFTA, more primarily SAG and BAFTA. Uh, But at the same time, for somebody to be near the bottom, because Austin Butler is tied in third place here, along with all these other people that have only won one award the entire season. He has literally nothing else. If he wins SAG, there's a good chance he probably can also go on and win BAFTA as well. At that point, there's no denying it. It would be a low win package, but the package is what matters there, right? That's kind of like Coda last year. Power to Dog won all these prizes. It was near the top 
but then Coda just won the right things at the right time. And the same thing can happen for Austin Butler here. But if he loses SAG and BAFTA, there's no way with just the Golden Globe he's winning at that point, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, that's why I just, I need SAG to come through for me. I don't even know what I want SAG to do, but just, I, I don't know. I, I just don't really see it for, for I, I don't know, like, Colin Farrell winning SAG doesn't really make sense for me. Like the pact would be BAFTA. No, I mean, I, I mean, here's my current prediction at the moment. I really, truly, and honestly believe BAFTA is going to go to Colin Farrell. Yeah. And because SAG takes place after BAFTA this year. Oh, you think they're going to fall in line? I actually still think Frazier wins SAG. Does that mean you think Frazier for the Oscar? Yeah, because I think considering that wow. that's the last one I mean, that, closest that's where to I'm voting. At too, but, I, but I thought I was the only one. <laughs> and, and if he gives another gracious speech where he is crying again, granted, you know, we've already seen that with Critics' Choice, but enough time, I think, has passed since Critics' Choice that if that happens again closer to voting, that's what sways the pendulum in the opposite direction that I think, regardless of the lack of the Best Picture nomination. Yeah, I mean, that's where that's where I'm at. I, I think that it... I think I can understand why it would be safer to go Butler at this point or Farrell, but I, I think I'm I'm sticking with Brendan Fraser for now. Now, mind you, if Butler wins SAG, it's all over. I don't care who wins BAFTA <laughs> at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll okay, good. Good to know that there's some Fraser people still sitting out there. <laughs> there's a few of us left in yeah. the world. Yeah. Now, Best Actress. I've been toying with this a lot lately, and it's very similar in that it all hinges on SAG. I'm currently of the belief that Kate Blanchett is going to sweep. I really, really want it to go to Michelle Yeoh. I think it would be an amazing Oscar moment for her to win. I think it would make for great television. The performance is worthy. Her career has earned this recognition. Kate Blanchett doesn't even want to win again. <laughs> like, she's clearly, you know, respectful and definitely gracious that people are honoring the performance and tar clearly is a film that she uh is happy that people are watching because her performance is so buzzed about but i think if you ask kate blanchett she would say give it to michelle it's michelle's time yeah with that said yeah i just can't help but feel that kate is heading for a daniel day lewis sweep of the season where she just takes bafta next and then sag and at that point, you cannot deny her because, I mean, the last time we saw something like this happen uh, would be something like Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington, where Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind won Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, SAG, and BAFTA, and Denzel Washington, by some miracle, uh, came up and won for Training Day. And granted, that miracle had to do with uh, a telephone and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Russell Crowe's temper. Uh, yeah. But Michelle Yeoh at least has the Golden Globe. Uh, but her losing CCA, I don't know, that was kind of eye-opening to me, especially on a night where Everything Everywhere All at Once was winning very big, and that group clearly loved the film. Even they couldn't pick Michelle. And if they can't do it, how are SAG and BAFTA going to do it? Yeah, the Critics' Choice thing, I mean, it, it feels kind of weird to hinge on that, but the fact that Everything Everywhere pretty much swept everything it, it could, and then Michelle still lost, where the way it was heading... I think most people are like, okay, well, Michelle Yeoh is going to win this. It's going to win everything above the line. And Kate Blanchett still took on the critic's choice. And yeah, as you said, Kate Blanchett and her speeches are basically like not even talking about like the award. She's like shouting out the other actresses 
or just anything in the industry. But yeah, as you said, I mean, it really just comes down to SAG because if Michelle Yeoh wins SAG, then there's like a legitimate shot, like where it's up in the air, even if Blanchett presumably does win the BAFTA, which I think she will. But yeah, if, if you had to ask me, I would, I think I would tend to agree with you that it's more likely that there's a sweep versus Michelle Yeoh comes in with SAG and then wins the Oscar. But if Michelle Yeoh does win SAG, I think I'm going to predict her to win the Oscar then. <sighs> yeah. I, Ah, I don't know, man. I'd be giving everything everywhere so many above the line wins that it would just it wouldn't feel right to me. Maybe I'd still do it though. <laughs> I don't know. The, the, everyone just thinks I'm like hope dicting everything everywhere, like in the comments, which I like. I swear I'm not trying to, but man, if if I predict Michelle Yeoh, then I'm literally predicting it for everything above the line. We cannot forget the fact that we have testimony from people within the academy who have admitted that they cannot get through everything everywhere all at once. They shut it off after mm-hmm. 20 minutes. It's too frantic. They don't understand the plot. And the demographic of the Academy is still skewing older at this point. Yeah. And because of that, I do think that everything everywhere all at once is very vulnerable. Uh, and so a lot of these wins for it are not guarantees. There is still a world where everything everywhere all once wins Kihi Kwan and that is it and it's boyhood with Patricia Arquette all over again. So where does that leave you for best picture? So this is where things get very interesting because imagine this. Imagine a world. This is crazy, but hear me <laughs> out. Imagine a world where Top Gun wins PGA, Banshees wins BAFTA, mm-hmm. Fablemans wins DGA, and everything everywhere all once wins SAG. Oh, yeah. Now we got ourselves a race. Now we're talking. That's how Elvis wins Best Picture right there. <laughs> <laughs> don't say, don't put that into the universe. Please. Yeah, my bad, my bad. This is how Triangle of Sadness can win, everybody. No, I'm kidding. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> can you honestly, like, sometimes I just want, I want that to happen just because it gets to the point where, like, I feel like by time the Oscars roll around, we've we've been following this all so closely that a lot of the time there aren't that many surprises. Yeah. And I I love a year where you're just like, what the fuck just happened? Well, I was talking about this with Josh Parham off air recently. Last year's Oscars, when you look at the winners, other than the shorts, were so predictable. The number one or number two in every category won. And granted, I like to, you know, be prepared over here at Next Best Picture, especially when we do our final winter predictions episode. We go very far in depth with everything because we don't want to be surprised to the point that we're disappointed. So we try to like emotionally prepare ourselves for every conceivable outcome that there possibly can be. Um, But right now, it's like if you were going to predict a spread the wealth sort of evening, you know, smart money would say... Everything Everywhere All at Once wins picture, Banshees wins original screenplay, Fablemans wins director, but that's not the way that this typically goes. Mm-hmm. Remember back in 2014 when we had Birdman, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Boyhood, and people thought yeah. that the three main filmmakers behind those films were going to split the top prizes, and then they all just ended up going to Birdman? Yeah. That was also a hard year for me. So. <laughs> I don't like Birdman. Uh, well. Am I like the only person that likes Alejandro Gonzalez in Yari 2's movies? <laughs> um, probably. <laughs> I, I, I like him, except Bardo. Definitely did not like Bardo. I've uh, never met an Inuritu film that I've liked, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Maybe one day. We'll see. Uh, so moving off of that, Jonathan, what are you doing with supporting actresses at the moment? Are you on the Angela Bassett train? Um, yes, but I, I'm not talking very confidently. Like some people are getting very confident in the Angela Bassett thing. I, I'm not I'm not there, but yeah, she'd be my number one for now. Yeah, I'm not confident in it either, because once again, she's got Critics' Choice. She's got Golden Globe, but she's very, very low on the precursor chart here. So what I need to see happen, especially considering that Black Panther Wakanda Forever is not nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Is I need to see her win SAG and BAFTA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It needs to be a sweep. If she loses one of those, then I think that she's extremely vulnerable, especially if it's to Carrie Condon. Mm-hmm. At BAFTA? Uh, yeah, I would say at BAFTA. I, I do think Angela Bassett can still win SAG. Yeah. I'm pretty prepared to say that she will win SAG no matter what. But if she loses BAFTA, you know, then we're all going to have to ask ourselves, is this a British thing? or? Is this where, because Banshees is the Best Picture nominee on Oscar night, is this where they choose to reward Banshees? Because maybe it's not winning screenplay. Maybe it's not winning actor. But this is where they could give it something. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, gosh, Black Panther at, at BAFTA, they just really do not, they just do not care about Black Panther at all or anything, anything Marvel related, really. So I, I don't have her winning BAFTA. You know, I, I would just assume it goes to Carrie Condon because I think Banshees will obviously play very well at BAFTA. But yeah, it, it is always tough to just go off of just a single BAFTA thing because it's, it's so hit or miss sometimes. But yeah, ba- Bassett's number one for now, like I said, but not, not as much confidence in it as others. And then how are you feeling right now with the screenplay categories? I know that ever since Women Talking got that Best Picture nomination, we're all feeling pretty secure about it winning Adapted. Do you feel the same way? 100%. Yeah. 100%, as it should. Yeah, that's easy for me. Yeah, I don't care what wins BAFTA. The fact that Women Talking is nominated for Best Picture, I think, just completely just overshadows everything else. Yeah. Uh, original screenplay is one of the hottest battles of the year between Banshees and Everything Everywhere all at once. And my gut instinct right now says Banshees. But, man, we it looks like we're heading for another scenario like 2017 where... yeah. Yep. Three Billboards won Golden Globe. BAFTA was not eligible for WGA, lost CCA, and the Banshees is doing the exact same trajectory this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm I'm rocking with everything everywhere in screenplay. I mean, it, I, I do have it winning picture, and I just I, I need a screenplay to go along with that. So I, I got to predict it for original screenplay. And I think it'll happen, too. I think it'll play out the same way. I'm with uh, Banshees for, for original screenplay. Okay. But I'm also not that confident. <laughs> like I, I'm not that confident, you know, like I, I, this year really confuses me. Like as it is, like to your point earlier, I'm still having a hard time believing that everything everywhere is going to get best picture, even though like if you ask me right now where it's pointing, that's where it's pointing. It's just I think it's challenging for a lot of the older audience and uh, voting members. Um, so this is a very weird year for me. I'm going to go with Banshees for original screenplay, but I don't know if that's a smart guess. I can't really lose. You know, if everything everywhere are Banshees wins, that, that's a win for me. It's a good year. Yeah. So we're not doing guild predictions this week, but John, what do you have winning PGA right now? <laughs> Man, it's just a tough question after a tough question. 
Um, gosh, what is gonna win PGA? Yeah, I kind of want to just say Top Gun, honestly, because yeah, I've I've kind of been that person even before the Oscar nominations, where I'm like, gosh, like Top Gun scares me, you know. As someone who desperately wants everything everywhere to win, like I Top Gun makes me nervous, even when people were like, well, it's not gonna get anything above the line, so there's no shot. And then you know, and like an adapted screenplay, just Top Gun Maverick. I mean, just a knee slapper of a movie, and especially the the older audiences in it. So I, I think I would say Top Gun. And I can't lie, that'd be kind of fun if it did, because it, it would descend into chaos after that. So what do you think is winning DGA? <laughs> come on, come on. DGA, I I am oh man. I haven't really thought about that. What am I going to do here? What am I going to do here? I'm, I'm going to go with Daniels. I'm going to stick with Daniels. They've got 34 wins this yes. season. Spielberg just hasn't done enough. So I'm rocking with Daniels. But to be clear, though, if Spielberg does win the DGA, yeah, yeah. I think he goes on to win the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, probably. I think you're right. But yeah, I'm with, I'm with Top Gun for PGA and Spielberg for DGA. I'm going to rock Top Gun for PGA. And Daniels for DGA. I'm alone here, okay. <laughs> yes, let's go. But I gotta ask you though, I, I gotta ask you though, with Top Gun possibly taking PGA, mm-hmm. where does that leave it for its chances to win Best Picture? Because mm-hmm. it too has an editing sound combo. One of its guaranteed wins is not happening with cinematography because it's not nominated. Yeah. So... Does Top Gun win Best Picture with just editing and sound? Because that feels wrong to me. That does that does feel wrong, especially when you say it like that. But I don't know, man. Maybe I'm just scarred from last year. Last year really messed me up, honestly. Like <laughs> last year truly messed me up with, with every single stat and trend. It's still kind of hard to believe. And I don't know. Top Gun just it just makes sense. And as the Academy gets bigger. And, you know, we continue to have these expanded lineups. I mean, it's going to happen one day where a movie wins Best Picture with just like, I don't know, some tech categories or whatever. And if anyone could do it, it would be like Top Gun Maverick. I'm not predicting it, obviously, but I've always been higher on Maverick than other people, for sure. Okay, let's head on over now to the polls. Let's move on over to see what the MVP film community had to say for last week's poll, where we asked them all, which films from the 2023 Sundance Film Festival are you most looking forward to seeing? Now, Jonathan, you mentioned before you got a chance to see some Sundance titles. Was there anything that you did not get a chance to see that you've heard some buzz about that you want to check out? Yeah, they're pretty much all the in-person ones because I I didn't go in person. So, I mean, past lives is just Mm -hmm. I'm just drooling at them i need to see that movie i don't want to over i don't want to oversell it but the wait will be worth it yeah yep gosh see i need it i need it so bad in my life i need it so bad um yeah past lives for sure that's definitely number one flora and son because sing street is just an absolute banger love sing street so i need to see that one and outside of that i mean there's obviously some cool documentaries i want to see i want to see the michael j fox one as a huge basketball fan i do need to see the steph curry one but yeah, mainly past lives and Florence on for me. Okay. Lauren, how about you? 
Um, so the big ones that I missed were um, obviously past lives because that was an in-person one. And I just like that, that was painful to be home and hearing everyone yeah. like rave about it. I was like, it feels like I'm being waterboarded right now. And I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I was having serious doubts about going to Sundance in person this year, especially because I was going for only uh, five days, which, you know, is on the lower end for me typically with Sundance. But man, seeing past lives made it all worth it. And yeah. I'm so sorry to rub oh, it in y'all's faces. I know you are. Pain. You are. It's painful. Pain. And then the other one, which now is going to be a really um, extended wait, is um, the Brett Kavanaugh documentary. Is it called Justice? Because I do think they're going back to the editing room and following extra new leads and new tips to expand on the documentary, I think is what the last word on it. So it's not like we're going to be getting that anytime soon that was actually one of the ones that i missed yeah well because it was a secret po it just like popped up out of nowhere right like mm -hmm. it was like a late edition i think they announced it like the day before or the day of or something um so we'll all have to wait quite a while for that one and then the one that makes me so upset is um eileen because my screener like my um time lapsed on it on the on the Sundance platform. And I, I just miscalculated how much more time I had to watch it. And that has been one of my most anticipated. And I know people are very split on it. It's very divisive, but you know how sometimes you just know a movie is for you. Like there's those types of movies you're like, this is a Lauren movie. I am so certain Eileen is my kind of movie. So it's just been um, really hard to have missed that one. Sure. No, I totally get it. Okay, let's see what the MVP film community had to say here in terms of the top 10 films they are most looking forward to seeing from Sundance 2023. At number 10, starring Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun, we have Cat Person. Yay! I didn't see that one. Got a bit of a divisive reaction from some people. Yeah. I enjoyed it for the most part. I had some issues with it, but what I thought the film did very effectively was put you in the headspace of a young woman who is absolutely terrified of this complete stranger. And the movie had some, you know, some horror elements that I wasn't quite expecting that I thought were hmm. used rather effectively. Interested to see it. Number nine is Nicole Holofcener's You Hurt My Feelings, starring Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. Did you see that one? I did. Oh, what'd you think? It's good. It's good. I think that, you know, some of the praise for it might be a bit too overstated. I don't see it as an Oscar player or anything like that, but it was good. You know, it was well-written, well-performed, good ending. <laughs> All right. Sounds good to me. Number eight is Flora and Son, which I'm surprised is not higher on this Yeah, list. I know. What the heck, community? <laughs> Let's bump those numbers up next time, all right? Uh, I am very, very happy with the reception that Eve Hewson received in this movie because I thought she was absolutely excellent here. And I get it. She's a nepotism baby. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, good performance. I think a lot of us are going to be uh, pretty surprised by how captivating she was in this lead role here. Do you like the songs? Uh, not as much as some other people. Uh, okay. Interesting. They were fine. They right. worked well within the movie, but there's nothing as memorable as Drive It Like You Stole It. Yeah, hard to beat that. Number seven, Passages, Iris Sachs' new film. That's with uh, Ben Wishaw. And um, Franz Rogowski. Uh, I missed that one. Yeah, same. Th this, let me tell you something. Franz Rogowski has been delivering fantastic performance after fantastic performance over the last couple of years in a lot of movies here. And this is just yet another one. And I think that we need to start having a very serious conversation at some point about why is he not, 
you know, considered one of our best actors working today because, oh, he is just the way that he's able to take a very unlikable character and yet not make you entirely hate him. Like you could be frustrated by him, but there's some real depth and humanity given to this performance here. I, I, I can't wait for you all to check it out. Number six is Magazine Dreams with Jonathan Majors. Oh, my God. His performance in that movie. Oh, my goodness. What a what a what an actor. I miss this one, too. This was by far the best performance of Sundance, in my opinion. No question. If if he doesn't make my like personal like top five best actor, then this is going to be like a hell of a year because that was that was insane. I think what will hurt him maybe is the movie itself. Yeah, for sure. Has quite a few issues with it. Yeah, it will need a very, very smart distributor Mm -hmm. behind it to campaign it for an awards push for him, man. Yeah, the performance is not overhyped at all, in my opinion. No, not at all. It's as uh, Will Mavity said in his review for us over at MVP, it's the kind of performance that Robert De Niro or Daniel Day-Lewis would have given that like turned them into legends. And the same thing is happening with Jonathan Majors right before our very eyes. Yep. Uh, Eileen is number five. Sorry, Lauren. Yeah, I'm in pain. Hey, at least you're not alone. Uh, number four is Rye Lane. Yeah, Team Rye Lane. This was definitely one of the more enjoyable movies that I saw at Sundance. I quite liked this a bit. Yeah, I missed that one. Loved the directorial vision. Really, really loved the performances, the writing. Uh, number three. Oh, man. This movie was dynamite. Fair play. Yes. Yeah. My number one. Same in terms of what I saw, which wasn't a lot. But yeah, fair play is... It's pretty it's pretty I think it'll definitely find uh, an audience on Netflix. I think so, too. My question is, is it an awards player or not? Because when I saw it, I thought it was really good. I didn't think it was an awards movie. I think Netflix thought it was like kind of like in the vein of something like a promising young woman. And I got questioned if I thought it could contend next year. The jury is very much out on that one. But if the field is weak, I could see it contending for maybe a screenplay nomination. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, didn't really see it as an awards player, but, you know, I didn't see Coda as an awards player. So what do I know? Uh, Number two. Theater camp. Yeah, I missed that one. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. no. I missed that one. I missed a lot. So much fun. Good on Searchlight for picking that one up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And number one. No surprise, past lives. Yeah, God major, damn it. I, I'm leaving this podcast. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I have my limits. Can't believe I'm going to have to wait months. It just pains me. Okay, so thank you very much to the MVP film community for voting on last week's poll. But for this week's poll, we only asked this question a couple of times a year. Last time we asked it was right before the fall film festivals, and we are asking it now before the guilds chime in. Which film do you think will be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? Jonathan, you already alluded to you think it's going to be everything everywhere all once. But Lauren, I'm detecting some skepticism in your voice. What do you think is going to win Best Picture? Oh, please don't ask me that. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it's really hard. So I have been like holding on for dear life with the Fablemans. And I know I sound like an idiot. No, you just sound Jewish. <laughs> I've been holding on for so long and then I know the tide has been turning for a while. The problem is I just don't 
I don't see a very large portion of the Academy voting for everything everywhere, even though that's like been the one that's been scooping up all these awards that would predict it winning Best Picture. But I also feel a little weird about giving it to Banshees for some reason. So I don't know. I mean, part of me wants to like be bold and just like, it's not even bold, just say everything everywhere because that's like the easy thing to go with right now. I just feel like I'm going to do that and then I'm going to be wrong. I don't know. Have you guys like heard some of these like wild theories that have been put out in the last couple of days because people are so doubtful of everything everywhere all at once, but then they do look at Banshees and they go, but that's not the type of film that wins Best Picture traditionally. And then they look at Top Gun and they're like, yeah, it's not nominated for enough things and the win package doesn't feel right. And then they look at Fablements and, and they're like, well, it's missing film editing. And then that's when things start getting very weird. That's when I've seen some people say, well, maybe it is Elvis because I have it winning all of this. <laughs> and then I see some people saying, no, it's going to be Tar because Todd Field is coming up and in, in, in he's going to win BAFTA and DGA and Kate's winning too. And I, like I've seen some wild theories be put out there over the last couple of weeks here. Now, granted, not many of them, you know, really none of them for the most part are from people I take that seriously, but it does feel like people are bending themselves into all these different positions to try and say it's not going to be everything everywhere all at once when right. all the signs are pointing towards everything everywhere all at once. And so you're comfortably confident with everything everywhere all at once is the best. No, I, I'm not saying I'm comfortably confident, but I am <laughs> saying that it is my prediction right now. No, I mean, I think that's a fair way to phrase it is that everything's pointing that way. And I'm going out of my way to to find reasons why it's not. And it's no it's nothing to do with the film as much as I think it's very easy to find reasons as to why it's not. But then the hard part is. What's the alternative? Right, that's my problem. Because there are all these other cons that are hurting these other films. I think it's like you show your parents everything everywhere all at once, right? And like, I think a lot of us have experienced like parents seeing that movie and being just a little bit perplexed. Um, and I think that's sort of what I'm basing this like idea of what the older Academy members will kind of feel when they see it. I do think it's challenging for a lot of people, at least the old, the Academy of old. I think this is a very challenging movie so like with that knowledge i keep being like it can't win but i mean at this point it's like i'm doing i'm doing like all this acrobatic work to try and say it's not going to be it when it looks like that's what's happening so maybe i just need to just say it's going to be everything everywhere and give up on my fableman stream <laughs> yeah i've just been for some reason i've just been like mulling over that like elvis has like a coda level surge and i've just kind of short-circuited for a little bit but yeah, I think what you said makes sense. That it's harder to find a reason for everything everywhere not to be the winner versus others. But even with that, you know, as someone who's been predicting everything everywhere for a while, there's nothing comfortable about it. Okay. Well, head on over to nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there for which film you think will be the next Best Picture Oscar winner. And we will announce that on next week's show. Also, a little PSA announcement here. Voting for the nominations for the 2022 MVP Film Community Awards is currently open at this time, and you can vote on your winners, I'm sorry, on your nominations for that all the way up until Saturday. So you have until end of day Friday to vote for that. Uh, we will be announcing the nominations for that on next week's show as well. So if you want to shape what you wish the 2022 awards season would have looked like, Head on over and cast a nomination ballot on nextbestpicture.com. 
Okay, now let's talk about this week's trailer, which is for The Covenant, or known as now Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. <laughs> I love when filmmakers have to like put their stamp in the title, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Do people care about Guy Ritchie that much, though? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that was my question, too. <laughs> like, really, someone's like, oh, it's Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, now I'm going to go see it. Yeah, the director of Aladdin, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and it doesn't work for me, but... Let them do them. This will be released in theaters on April 21st, and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Dar Salim, and Anthony Starr. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one, and we'll give some thoughts. John, you have tellies approaching. You still don't remember a thing. I don't remember any of it. I only remember the interpreter. Why he wants this job? I need the money. Don't disappoint and turn out to be a pain in the ass. No, not me, sir. Money isn't the reason he wants this job. It's Alabama killed his son. Stop the vehicle, Sergeant. We don't want to go down this road. You're out of your bounds, Ahmed. You're here to translate. Actually, I'm here to interpret. John, you have tellies approaching. I'll give it this. It looks... Unlike other Guy Ritchie movies, I feel like I've watched before. <laughs> yeah. Like if you like if you didn't tell me this was a Guy Ritchie movie, I would never have guessed that it was. Yeah. It, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is like a Clint Eastwood movie. And then it's like Guy Ritchie. I'm like, wait a minute. What, why? Like his normal directorial flourishes are just like absent, it feels like, from this trailer. Yeah, yeah. not a lot of personality here. <laughs> now, I'm a big Jake Gyllenhaal fan. I assume the two of you are as well. Absolutely. Uh, not not him personally, but as an actor, yes. Okay, fair enough. I think he's one of our best actors working today, and he can make any project like instantly watchable for me. Even something as terrible as, uh, let's think. What was like the last movie that he was in that was absolutely awful, but he was great in it? Hold on, I'm IMDBing. I mean, I've heard some people would say Ambulance. Oh, Ambulance is awesome. <laughs> Velvet Buzzsaw? Yeah, that's a good one. I would say I would say something like that. I did not like that movie. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care for that movie at all. But I really, really like the choices that he's been delivering over the last couple of years, even if the films overall haven't been like that great. And this just feels like it could be another one of those. Um, Dar Salim is probably somebody who I would watch out for here just in terms of delivering a standout performance i'm not saying awards performance or anything like that but uh looking forward to seeing you know what the dynamic is there uh between him and jake and then you know anthony Starr from the boys you know definitely going to show up for homelander as usual <laughs> johnny lee miller is also in this jason wong a couple of good names but overall there was not much in this trailer that honestly got me that excited. I was like, okay, it's another war film. And the, really the only selling point for me is Jake Gyllenhaal's leading it. Uh, so that's reason enough for me to check it out. And then you got Guy Ritchie directing, but it doesn't look like it has the traditional Guy Ritchie stamp. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a thing. It's a thing, she <laughs> exactly says. What I was okay. say. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I've been, I think I've been actually pretty nice to, to Guy Ritchie. I think I enjoy his movies a little bit more than some other I don't know, critics do. Like, I, I thought The Gentleman was a lot of fun. I know a lot of people didn't really care for that one. But yeah, this one, I'm just, not like, like nothing about it intrigues me. Like, And I love Jake Gyllenhaal, but like, I just, 
I don't know. And it doesn't have that Guy Ritchie flair to it. So then I was like, I don't really know. It looks just like another standard war movie, which just doesn't really pique my interest anyways. I thought The Gentleman was awesome. Oh, let's let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Another one. <laughs> there are dozens you, of us out here. What do you make of its release date? It'll be something fun to watch in April, which is, you know, not saying much. <laughs> right. I mean, if it's the kind of movie that looks like it would want to be making Oscar plays, but it's not being released at like the best time. So that's why I'm just no, sort of like, no, it, there is a universe where that trailer would be released for like, you know, October, November, December. But I but obviously this is not one of those movies. If anything, I'm actually more surprised that it's not a South by Southwest movie. But isn't that concerning? Like if it's if it's totally like skirting the the festival circuit and has like a kind of May release date, isn't it sort of like, well, what's up with this movie? Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. there are red flags everywhere <laughs> here that says that this is probably not going to be great for sure. I, I I'm completely in agreement with that. But like even something like um, oh, uh, what was that movie called? The Outpost from Rod Lurie uh, a few years ago. Even that had its world premiere, I think, or at least it was scheduled to have its world premiere at South by Southwest before the pandemic uh, canceled that release. So, yeah, I'm a little surprised that it's not going there. And then on top of that, it's just kind of being dumped, I guess you could say. uh, Yeah, pre pre can post South by, but no no festival run. It's 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 alarming. Yeah. So my expectations are not that high, but that's usually good for this kind of movie because then I go in with low expectations and there's a better chance that it will impress me by the end. So we'll see. Yeah, I just want to see Jake Gyllenhaal scream, to be honest. Told me all. (laughs) Okay, now let's uh, end this week here with questions from the IBP film community. Let's see what they had to ask us for this week's show. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Josie DeMarco, after the omission of Daniel Deadweiler and Viola Davis in lead actress, do you think they will expand to 10 slots in the acting categories in the future to make room for more people of color? Whoa, 10? I do not no. I, I do not see this happening. Whoa, no, but what they might do, I think the biggest thing we might actually see is not an expansion of slots, but actually getting rid of gendered um, categories. I mean, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but that's the that would be the next change I would foresee before expanding to 10. I am telling everyone with a large voting body like this, when it's not a small committee like a film critics group or jury like at Film Independent or Gotham, this is not going to produce the result that you want. Yeah. You will get a majority of dudes. I promise you this. No, no, I, I agree. I, I It's not a change that I... It's not, I, I it's not a change that I want because I don't think it will. I think it will have more negative consequences than it would. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I think that we will not see an expansion of 10 slots in the acting categories. I think that, as I said on last week's show, and I've been saying for a while now, we need more opportunities for people of color in this industry to lead a film. You need more everything everywhere all at once is you need more woman kegs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why also the Andrea Riseborough thing kind of rubbed people the wrong way, because I absolutely it's not 
it's not anyone, it's not anyone's fault. It's not Andrea's fault. It's not the people that were, you know, campaigning for her. It's more of like, kind of you look at it and you're like, well, people could have backed Danielle Dudweiler that way. They just chose not to. William DeFart. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what a name. <laughs> All right. That is the name here. Nice. Do you think that Avatar The Way of Water was hurt by the knowledge that there would be numerous more sequels coming so quickly? I think they were wary of voting for the movie in Best Director because they don't want to feel obligated to do so for almost every other year for the next decade. Listen, Peter Jackson did not get nominated for Best Director for The Two Towers. Yeah. And maybe that is because people thought, oh, this was so good. We'll, we'll, we'll get around to it again when we get to Return of the King. Maybe it was just a competitive year. I think that Avatar, when you really start to just break it down, and I, I was one of the first people that was saying this early on, back when people were still widely predicting James Cameron to get in for director, and people were calling me crazy for not having him in my lineup. Yeah, the Peter Jackson comparison was a part of it, but the real reason is Avatar, the first movie, was such a mind-blowing, fresh, brand-new cinematic experience. It was the first. Going back to that world and doing it again, yes, there were some more advancements in technology, but you can't really produce the same wow factor again. I think that he came very close. I think that he was definitely in the hunt for a director nomination, but, you know, not even getting in a DGA. I mean, that clearly sends a signal to me that Joseph Kaczynski, if anything, was closer to a Best Director nomination than James Cameron was here with another sequel uh, to a film that had such a leap in technology and presentation overall. In fact, I think Top Gun Maverick is leaps and bounds a better film than the first Top Gun, but I can't say exactly the same for Avatar 2 The Way of Water. If anything, it's equal, maybe slightly better, in some cases below. But I think that's the way that you get a Best Director nomination for a sequel is you have to be widely considered by everybody like general consensus across the board like it has to be common knowledge that this is superior in every single way and even then it's not guaranteed yeah yeah i totally agree i mean i, I do think this, you know the knowledge of the sequels probably does factor in at least a little bit because you know i think i do think especially in the peter jackson scenario that is what happened but I, I am kind of curious just looking in the future of how these Avatar movies, because now that he is going to do five, I mean, how are the how is the Academy essentially going to receive all the Avatar movies? Like, is the third one also going to get Best Picture nominated or so that that is a question that I'm looking forward to with the Avatar movies. But yeah, I say I would agree with you, Matt. I mean, let's be clear. If there weren't 10 nominees for Best Picture, Avatar would not be nominated. Four nominations compared to the nine that the first one got is a considerable step down. Yeah. So my gut says that the next film, Ever is going to, I don't even think equal this. I think it's going to be even less again. Maybe three, maybe two nominations. Dang. And then the fifth one, he sweeps. Yeah, right? <laughs> so exactly. that's the plan. I kind of alluded to this before. Let's address the question head on here. Oscar H. Tar has hit pretty much everywhere this season the only best director winner without a best cinematography nomination in the last 15 years is bong joon ho for parasite given the nomination there and in best film editing is todd field a dark horse contender to win best director nah. <laughs> i think he's closer than people are giving him credit for i think he's closer than we're giving him credit for but that doesn't mean he's close fair 
I, I think I would have him three. I think Tar could ride a nice trajectory on the way. Kind of piggybacking off of this here for a minute, Connor Lorenz, are we underestimating Tar's chances to win more than just Best Actress come Oscar night? I kind of think so. I've heard some people put forward the claim that that could be our winner in original screenplay. Remember when Todd Field surprisingly won the Gotham Award for screenplay? Yeah. I've even heard some people say, oh, without Top Gun Maverick and cinematography, maybe Tar goes on to win the Independent Spirit Award and something else like along the way. And all of a sudden, holy shit, you know, maybe that's the winner for cinematography. That would be wild. But, you know, these are all possibilities to consider right now, uh, especially before we get the guild announcements. Yeah, Tar, Tar had a very good day on Oscar nomination one is what I was saying. It, it, just, it really just depends like everything with how the momentum goes and its side. Ryan Rabideau, do you think that Rihanna performing at the Super Bowl could boost her chances to win Best Original Song at the Oscars? Uh, I'm going to go with no on that one. No. Yeah, nah. Is Rihanna even going to sing Lift Me Up at the halftime show? Like, probably not. Yeah, probably ha- not. At the halftime show? No. Yeah, definitely not. So, I mean, at the Oscars? Probably. Yeah, definitely at the Oscars. I mean, yeah, the halftime? Nah. Uh, Edwin Araz, with Babylon getting traction since its digital release, which categories do you think the Let's film go. absolutely got snubbed for? Let's go. Yes. <laughs> Babylon Hive member right there. Double digit. Double digit noms. Easy. Done. I really think that Babylon should have contended a lot more for cinematography. Oh, yeah. Editing. Yes. Go off, Matt. Sound. Yes. Go off. I even, sorry, I know he's not everyone's favorite person right now. I think that Brad Pitt is even better in Babylon than he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, come on. That's just me. That's just me. I feel so seen right now, Matt. I feel so not seen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to stay in my corner right now. (laughs) Yeah, Babylon Hive, we're thriving right now it's okay everyone will come people will come around to it eventually i agree i think that film's gonna get reevaluated in a couple of years yep. by people i agree and i just want to say i was out here first fighting for my <laughs> life i was fighting for my life every day on here but you guys are brave at jonathan tomley 19 <laughs> does all quiet on the western front have a legitimate chance at winning best picture why are more people not discussing it to win bafta for best film and director no best picture shot yeah it ain't winning best picture Sorry, not sorry to anyone out there who thinks that that's going to happen. It's going to win an international feature and maybe one craft category. My gut says cinematography. Has a film that's been nominated for Best Picture and Best International ever not won in the international category? No. Never. No. So that's why, like, you would be foolish to not vote for it in that category or, or predict it to win, I mean. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, Jason Valencia, how does this year's Best Picture lineup stack up against last year's? Oh, this is so much better, in my opinion. So much better. Much yeah. stronger. Yes, absolutely. But I do think 2021 was better. Y- you mean last year? Um, no, like the 2021 Oscars. We, we go by film. Oh, sorry, 20, the 2020 then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I also would say no to that, too. Yeah. That, that, that's a tough one. I mean, it's not better than 2019 for me. Yeah, 2019 is pretty awesome, I think. That was, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty great one. 2020 is close, though, with this one. I'd have to think about it. But definitely better than last year. Uh, Edwin Araz, assuming Kehi Kwan was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor, who would be your choice to win the category? It'd be between 
Barry Keown and Brian Tyree Henry, I'd probably vote Barry Keown. I would vote Brian Tyree Henry. Wow. I see how it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there goes that dream. Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Lauren? Probably Barry. TV Fontaine, Dave Bautista, John Cena, or Dwayne Johnson? (laughs) Who is your favorite? What should they do next? Do any of them have potential to be an Oscar nominee someday? Batista's my guy. I mean, in terms of what I want to see Batista do next, anything, anything and everything. Yeah. Give that yeah. guy the keys to the kingdom. Let him do whatever the hell he wants, I say. Because you want to know something? There is a real sincerity behind that man wanting to do better. And I yeah. say, give him the opportunity. Let's see what he can do. Absolutely. Whereas the other two, it's like John Cena, I think, should just stick with comedies. Yeah. I think he's hilarious <laughs> yeah. in those movies. Um, he does do a good job in like things like Bumblebee, where he's playing the villainous tough guy type and like he was all right in that role in the fast and the furious uh film but like he's so much better in comedies yeah yeah he's a very good comedic actor and dwayne johnson listen no i'm just begging for him to just do anything different at this point seriously (laughs) i want to i want to see what would happen and i i don't think he would ever do this but wouldn't it be incredible to see Dwayne Johnson do an indie film just to see how that film would perform financially. Oh, yeah. That's that's a day one in the theater, honestly. Like, imagine if he was doing a film with, say, uh, I don't know, like Neon. <laughs> do you think that film would uh, do like major box office still? Because then that, I think that would be proof of whether or not Dwayne really is the star that everyone thinks he is. Yeah, I could see it. That would be that'd break my brain if he was ever in like an A24 movie or something. <laughs> but I also just want to see the guy do something different for a change. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I know. It's, it's all it's all the it. same. Seems like a good guy. But, you know, like it's OK to lose a fight sometimes, like when you're getting beat up in a movie. It's OK. And then last question here this week from King Jaceres, the first. What is a way of making the Oscar ceremony watchable and a <laughs> celebration of the movies? Have an Oscar party. What do you mean by that? Like, so every year I like, I have a big Oscar party where like all the food is like specifically picked. Like each, each dish has something to do with a movie that you're, that's nominated and everything is just themed and super fun. I give out Oscar ballots for people to. Oh, no, no, no. I think they mean how. Like the telecast? Yeah, yeah. How can you make the ceremony watchable for others? I mean, I already think it's super watchable. Mm, I mean, I mean, that's a loaded question. That could be a podcast unto itself. I don't, I don't, I just like, in my opinion, like some of the categories just, you know, based off like my friends feedback, like they don't care about like makeup, right? Like the category, they don't care about like costume design, but, and I've said this before, I don't know if you remember the, the parasite Oscars that telecast, they did some like interesting things with how they were presenting some of the categories. Like I know the scores were performed live, uh, the visual effects are just a very simple before and after wipe transition. And for some reason, my friends were watching and I, I saw their reaction to some of those. And they're like, oh, wow, like that was like super sick. They didn't realize whatever, whatever. Just like simple stuff like that, which at least I would think would be pretty easy to get, would make it a little bit more interesting for them and honestly for me, too. I think for most people, the reason they don't enjoy it that much also has a lot to do with them having not seen the nominees. Yeah. So like, I mean, you know, true. like I, I, most people I know who's, who aren't enjoying it haven't seen most things. They might have seen something, but like maybe they've seen Avatar, but they haven't seen like 90 percent of the things. So like, yeah, it's not going to be enjoyable when you just kind of feel like you're 
totally out of the loop. So I don't, I don't know if you've watched everything and you've been following the race to me, I can't see how anyone would be bored during it, even with a bad host and like minimal (laughs) theatrics. So I don't know. I agree with you, Lauren, that investment in the nominees is super important. Yeah. But for a majority of people out there, I mean, the movies are available. Streaming, PVOD, in theaters at some point or another. I mean, at a certain point, it's on them. It's on them that they did not go and see these nominees. Yeah, and they shouldn't be complaining when they don't have a good time watching it. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. But I do think like they, they probably need to put more effort into finding the right host and... Yeah. All yeah. that. I do remember, like, I don't know, I think back years to like when like Hugh Jackman posted it and had that whole musical number. And like, I think that was the year Benjamin Button was nominated and Frost Nixon. I don't remember what year that was, but I remember he was such a good host. And I don't think I felt that way about an Oscar host since. So I do think they need to put like a hundred times the effort to find that kind of person because it hasn't been it hasn't been hitting the same way. Yeah, getting Jimmy Kimmel a third time is like, like they're kind of just like, all right, deadline's phone, passed. We need to get phoning it in. Like, yeah, like I'll, we'll, we'll all have a good time, all of us talking right now. But like, it's not it's not going to change the way people feel about the Oscars. I think that what they tried to do uh, last year with the fan favorite voting and taking the categories off air and such, that clearly was not the thing to do. I think. What you need to do is very, very simple. Right now, as of this moment, today, why am I not seeing ads about the Oscars and the nominees like on YouTube when I go to watch a video? Why am I not seeing promoted tweets on my Twitter feed? Why am I not seeing like any promotion for the show anywhere? Yeah. That's number one. Number two, during the show, do not make fun of the nominees. Don't say, oh, nobody saw these movies this year. Every time you do that, you're just fanning the flames. I don't know. It's fine to me. No, no, I'm telling you, it just. So it's disrespectful to say that no one saw Two Leslie. (laughs) (laughs) Did anyone see Two Leslie, actually? Even if it is the truth, even if it is the truth, we should be celebrating that Andrea Riseborough is nominated. This working character actress who is a chameleon that's been doing all these great roles over the last couple of years. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's it's a fair point. Like, I respect where you're coming at. I guess maybe it's different to us because we obviously see everything and have nothing but love for these movies. So I can can hear the joke and laugh at it, but I get that, like, when these movies are potentially suffering because no one's going to see them or... Like, for ignorant people out there, you're yeah. just proving them right if you make that joke. It's like you're validating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is going to be a big year for the Academy and, like, the telecast because there's really no reason that this Oscar shouldn't, like, I don't like to, I don't really care about, like, viewer numbers or anything, but, you know, from a business mm, perspective. Be very careful what you say here because I'm telling you right now, I think the numbers are going to be down because see, that's, that's the, the, the same, season like, finale of Last of Us is the same night as the Oscars. <laughs> like, and yeah. the way that that show has been <laughs> yeah. building Wait, up. Wait, is it really? Yeah, that is true. And the way that that show has been building up, like, word of mouth lately, I think that that's going to eat a huge chunk into the Oscars uh, viewership this year. I'm, and maybe I'm over, maybe I'm overestimating. Why can't they just wait a week? I mean, oh, I, I shit. Yeah, you're you're probably right. That no, I think you're right that The Last of Us will probably cut into it. 
And that would just be a very bad look because if you just look at the best picture nominees, like people have like seen at least a decent chunk of these movies. Like I, I do think that even something like last year, I don't think a lot of people saw many movies last year that were nominated and up for actual, you know, quote, bigger awards. But you know what people also need to do too? And I'm not saying that like sites like us need to do this, but like I, I think that kind of like the way how sports commentators will talk about two teams that are supposed to be facing off like in a playoff match in a week's time and assessing, you know, where they're at and so on and so forth, like in the sports world. Yeah. Maybe that's how we need to treat the Oscar nominees and these races. Treat it like it's almost, all right, this film's going up against this film. And I mean, that's what we do here. Yes. But imagine if more places kind of treated it like uh, a horse race more. And I get it. There's an element of this is preordained. This is going to happen. And it's not even it's not even worth talking about, say, something like Best Animated Feature being a race between Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and, say, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. But if you wanted to give off like the illusion that there was a race, imagine how much more excited you could possibly get people invested in the Oscars if you treated every single race like it was wide open and. I, I And I know, listen, I understand, too, that this kind of is trivial and robs the films of, like, their artistry when you make it about winning and losing. But that's what gets people excited about this stuff. Am I right? Yeah. No, no that's that's a that's a great point, because even with some of the categories that are, quote, like sewn up, that's they're sewn up like in our heads. Like, I, I guarantee you, my friends don't have no clue what's the front runner and best animated feature. Like they would have no, they probably do think it's Puss in Boots. So if that was to go, like, like you said, in more sports style competition, which I know some people would kind of push back on, because like you said, but that, that does, it drives viewership. That, I feel like we're already doing, like, I mean, that's what I'm doing at my Oscar party. <laughs> like I am treating it that way. So I guess it's more of like to each individual person to view it that way. But how would that, how would anyone else push that to be more of a thing? I think really what it comes down to is like, yes, that's, that's, that's up to the viewers to like to view it as a race and to take bets and to yeah. like make their predictions. So, you know, to me, that's kind of goes back to like me saying like the, the way you make the Oscars more enjoyable to me is not about what the Oscars are doing for the production. It's about what you're doing at home. Right. To a degree. But I also think too, there's an element of there are some people that are not won over that you're never going to win over as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole segment of the country that ever since Trump won the presidency and he pretty much turned a huge portion of this country against Hollywood, they're gone. Yeah, they're forever gone. And there's nothing that we're ever going to do, I think, to be able to bring them back to the telecast. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's interesting because Avatar, for example, is a movie that so many people have seen. It's nominated for Best Picture, but. Because maybe due to shows like ours or if they read, you know, Variety, Hollywood Reporter or whatever, and they read that Avatar doesn't stand a chance, why why, why should they tune in? Yeah, right. Like, I think we, we expanded to 10 nominees as a way to get those types of movies that maybe don't get nominations often. Kind of like what that was the year The Dark Knight didn't make it in. Mm-hmm. That the yeah. following year they made it. So we got those big budget movies that people love and want to see nominated, which does a lot of good to have. Um, Avatar and Top Gun in the top 10. But the problem is, is I think people are very aware of the fact that they're not going to win. So that that doesn't even get the viewers to watch it because all everyone has seen Top Gun and Avatar, but that doesn't get them to watch the Oscars because like, 
we're on here saying like those two movies have no shot. Like the ignorance of some people the year of Spider-Man uh, Far From Home or no, No Way Home? No Way Home. Yeah, No Way Home. Uh, all the homes uh, saying that <laughs> 99 homes. Um, the, the year of Spider-Man Far From Home. Jesus Christ. No way home. There we go. Uh, and them saying that this should be nominated for Best Picture and that's what would get me to watch the ceremony. Bullshit. You would not have watched the ceremony. No. Yeah. Wouldn't have. So I don't want I don't want to fucking hear it. That's true. I mean, if Willem Dafoe, though. <laughs> OK. Supporting actor. Okay, Green Goblin. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Green Goblin supporting actor. I think if anything at this point, and I've been saying this now for a while, the Oscars need to maintain their current fan base. Yep. And there are a lot of us. Mm-hmm. But we got to do our part as well in trying to get others to watch it that aren't part of this fan base. Yeah. I agree definitely. with that. So, Lauren, instead of having an Oscar party at your place where everybody <laughs> comes over, tell them to stay in their individual homes and maybe right, get, there'll be a Nielsen more. ratings uh, box somewhere. I am single handedly <laughs> destroying the Oscars in their <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Academy. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us here this week for this uh, episode. Uh, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find your work on the internet. Yeah, uh, pretty simple. Just the film junk on YouTube, Twitter, and Letterboxd. You can see the little Panda Fighter review there. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here once again. Always appreciate having you on. No, thank you. Lauren, where can they find you on the internet? People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lauren Cohen Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 330 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.